hey, everybody, I wasn't expecting to be here today in the studio, uh, but I've come in because Tony Lewis of The Outfield died last night, and I wanted to pay tribute to him. Tony was an early guest on the podcast, and he was a lovely guy. Sweet, thoughtful, funny, and we had a great chat. The Outfield were a great band, and Your Love remains one of my favorite songs of all time. It's simple, it's direct, and it's emotionally precise. As for Tony, he was one hell of a singer. Commanding, muscular, and elegant, he had a falsetto that would hit the rafters, and his delivery and his phrasing were practically peerless. When he came on the show a few years ago, he had just put out his first solo album, and he had some time in between gigs, so we sat down and we talked. I enjoyed our talk immensely, and I think you will too. You can tell it's an early episode because it has one of those lengthy introductions that I don't really do anymore, but in this case, a lengthy introduction, I think, is a fitting way to say goodbye to Tony. May the road rise to meet you, sir. Here's the chat with me and Tony Lewis right here on Stereo Embers, the podcast. the music of Tony Lewis, who is my guest today on the program. I know his voice sounds familiar to you, and you're trying to place it, and it's driving you nuts. Relax. I'm here to fill in the blanks for you. Let me tell you a little bit about Tony Lewis. Now, admittedly, Tony Lewis doesn't have a unique or striking name like someone say, oh, I don't know, Benedict Cumberbatch. But Tony Lewis has done something that Benedict Cumberbatch will never do. And that's sell a million records. But to be fair, Tony Lewis will never play Sherlock Holmes or Patrick Melrose, but I don't think he really cares. Now, our story begins with a late 70s power pop band from London called Sirius B, consisting of bassist singer Lewis, guitarist and songwriter John Spinks, and drummer Alan Jackman. Sirius B were more along the lines of the Knack, and in England at the time, the public's Knack was for bands like The Clash and The Sex Pistols. So, seeing the writing on the wall, which incidentally was written in graffiti, The Clash and The Sex Pistols, Sirius B went to Plan B, and that was to break up. But here's the thing. Lewis, Jackman, and Spinks had, oh, shall we say, a knack for playing together by the way, I promise not to make one more Knack reference this entire podcast. And they reformed a few years later. Only this time they called themselves the Baseball Boys. 
Was this because they liked baseball? Not exactly. And when I say not exactly, I mean not at all. The members of the outfield didn't even know what baseball was. Spinks' inspiration for the name came from the movie The Warriors, who featured a gang called the Baseball Furies. Oddly, the band's American name matched their American sound, and then their American manager got them an American deal. Renamed The Outfield, the band's debut extended the sports metaphor with its title, Play Deep, and that's exactly what The Outfield did. The album hit the top 10 in the U.S., it spawned the huge top 10 hit single, Your Love, and Play Deep went on to go triple platinum. For those of you into math, it sold over 3 million copies. Take that, Benedict Cumberbatch. The band's 1987 sophomore release was called Bangin', and while Play Deep went deep, commercially, Bangin' was bangin'-ish. But it was no slouch, spawning top 40 hits like Since You've Been Gone and No Surrender. The band toured with Night Ranger, Bangin' went gold, and all was well-ish. 1989's Voices of Babylon gave us the top 25 hit, My Paradise, but things were definitely slowing down. Jackman decided to leave the band, and the band decided to leave CBS for the greener pastures of MCA, who put out 1991's Diamond Days album. Then came 1992's Rock Eye, but in spite of the merits of that album, by then Nirvana had changed the sonic landscape So thoroughly, it was hard to say where bands like The Outfield fit in. Harkening back to their reading the writing on the wall days when they were serious B, The Outfield decided the rock and roll climate was one they shouldn't be weathering. So they decided to settle in to a quiet hiatus. But in 1998, they came roaring back with a high-profile tour and two new live albums. Live in Brazil, and the decidedly literal The Outfield Live. 2006 saw the release of Anytime Now, and then in 2009, Jackman came back, and the original lineup recorded Replay, which was the first new album they'd done in 20 years. How was Replay? Well, it might as well have been called Replay Deep, because the magic of The Outfield was back. California Sun was a number one AOR hit, and the follow-up single, A Long, Long Time Ago, hit number one on the Worldwide FM Class X radio chart. The band went on tour again, the shows were packed, and all was well. You know, it's hard to have a second act in anything, especially pop music, but the outfield's renaissance was legit, and energized by their success, they began work on new material. But Spinks, who had been battling liver cancer for years, didn't get to finish the new work he started. And in July of 2014, he died at the age of 60. Now, Tony Lewis may have been the voice of the outfield, but as chief songwriter, Spinks was the one who gave that voice the words to sing. He was Cyrano to Lewis's Christian. And their partnership was one of the most natural and satisfying pairings in modern music. But with Spinks gone, Lewis had lost his friend and his creative collaborator, which, 
put him in the unique and unenviable position of mourning two deaths, a situation that takes time to both process and heal from. And that's exactly what Lewis did, taking nearly four years off of music to do it. Now, as we all know, grief, to quote Shakespeare, is a total dick, and it leaves us with two choices, stay in the darkness or push past it into the light. Lewis chose the latter. Titled Out of the Darkness, his solo album finds him teaming up with a new creative partner, his wife Carol, who wrote most of the album's lyrics. As for Lewis, he plays all the instruments, he produced the record, and his voice still has the incandescent, laser-like quality it always has. It has punch, it has swagger, and it has soul. And it sounds untouched by time. Tony Lewis sounds exactly as he did when you first heard him back in 1984. It's a remarkable thing. As a result, Out of the Darkness is one of 2018's great surprises. It's hard-hitting, it's introspective, and it's filled with punchy pop heights that make it an instant classic. All right, without further ado, because I tend to ado away, don't I? Without further ado, here's my conversation with Tony Lewis. Enjoy it right here on Stereo Embers, the podcast. distinguished you from from many other musicians because musicians are notorious for being late yeah i think that's rude that's just not the way i've been brought up i suppose well what about in your regular life are you prompt in your in your regular life no i'm just making it up (laughs) 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 no no i'm I'm always uh yeah very very punctual i think my my daughter i've I've instilled it in my daughters as well uh she's a younger one she's she actually goes into a meltdown if she's late for anything. You know, she just, it's just in the genes, I suppose. Somebody once told me that the late person is always in control, and I find that exasperating. Yeah, that's, that's, not, that's not in control. That's, um, that's like, you know, fashionably late and all that sort of stuff. That's five or ten minutes, fine, yeah, but not, you know, half an hour and stuff like that. It's just, for me, it's just, uh, fine. But let's just let's do the whole interview about time. <laughs> <laughs> I think we. I think we should. <laughs> Why not? I feel I'm feeling about feeling back all my, my changing my stage name to Punctual Pete. <laughs> well, it's funny, you know. I I have not in my in before I turned forty, I was notoriously known for being the late guy, and now in my well into my forties, I find that I'm always on time. I've grown up. Yeah. Yeah, it's. it's I think it just shows you that you're organised and you respectful and all that sort of stuff, you know, and, you know, it's, it's, I suppose you have, having a work ethic as well, and every, all, all the dots lining up, and it's all like a link to a chain, and it's, I don't know, I'm getting, I'm getting a bit out of there now, aren't I? 
<laughs> no, 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 you're good. I, you know, you you seem like to me like a guy who's very – your work ethic to me seems like I'm willing to bet is a, is a very good work ethic. I'll bet you're very uh, conscientious about how you do your work. Yeah, yeah, and it's um, – I suppose you like a lot of time for recording, a lot of time for other stuff, family stuff, and take the dogs for a walk and all that sort of stuff. And just, you know, I, I, think, you, I think there's nothing wrong with having a plan. People just sit around, you know, they get the weekend, they just sit around and look at each other. I think that's not a plan. I mean, that's just relaxing, fine, but I just, I just like to have a plan, I like to do something, you know, plan something and, are you are you somebody who's easily bored? Is is that part of it too? Yeah, yeah. I I I, I can't I can't sit still. I'm always I'm I'm always sort of you know not fidgety, but just I just can't. I find it, I find it really really hard to sit back and just watch it. I can't remember the last time I actually sat for a film. Wait, really? Yeah, I, I think with my granddaughter, and that was a cartoon thing. But that was just. Yeah, that's the kids thing, but you know, a proper grown-up adult film. I find it hard work to um, yeah sit through sit through one. Is it because you're you're watching somebody else's creation and you're thinking, well, I should be creative? Well, not really. It's just it's just it's just low attention span, really. Interesting. What about reading? I don't, I don't even read books. I get at the end of the. I don't mean, I think I've read about three books in my whole life. It's probably one. Not very clever. <laughs> so you're you're like I, your spirit animal must be a shark. You got to keep moving. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Me, congratulations, man, on this record. I'm really excited about it. I I'm a huge fan of yours. I've been a fan for a long time. Uh, I know people say that to you a lot, but it's it's true. I grew up with your music, and I, I'm a I'm a huge admirer of of the stuff you do. Tell me about how this album was gestating. Was it sitting with you for a while? So what it was, because, you know, after, after um, um, the passing of John, I, I basically just not even, I didn't even want even thinking about music, or didn't even enjoy music, didn't want to even pick up a guitar and you know, for about a year, two years, and then the wife, we went to a pub and the wife said to me, you, you should really concentrate on what you do well, you know, you're a musician, you, you should get recording again and get, you know, try and get back into it again, and I was like, and I sort of eased back in after a while and started doing backing tracks, did drum tracks and then bass and then put some layered on guitars and before I knew it, I had sort of I had about four or five backing tracks, but I I really struggled lyrically. The songs I was I was putting down were didn't really make sense. Uh, going out for a fight, looking for a fight, stuff like that. But probably because I was in that sort of frame of mind, you know. And my wife said, "Yeah, I've got I've got some lyrics here, and she's pretty good at telling a story." And these these lyrics, I'm, I think, they seem to fit well in the backing tracks. Most of them, you know, um, here and now, and into the light, into like the single. And they were the very first two that we put together, and it all sort of fitted fitted really well. Some songs I had to we did from a acoustic guitar point of view up, upwards, you know, just sitting around trying to find a melody. But the arrangements I found quite easy. The production I found quite easy. And, just recording, but people that, that find doing an album a big undertaking, that, that I, I feel they shouldn't be doing it because it's it's if you don't enjoy it, then just don't do it. You know, I mean, some people do need need help. They need a producer, need a band, need a, a mentor, or whatever they need to do to get through a creation a creation process. But I found it very very easy, very organic. 
how wrapped up was your musical identity with John? In other words, working without him around, um, that must have been a strange feeling for you. Well, yes and no, but I felt like he was sort of guiding, especially on doing guitar parts. I felt like he was because I'm looking at his photos sometimes, and I felt like he was guiding my fingers doing some of the guitar parts. But I've never try and emulate him because he was a great guitar player. I'm not really a lead player. I'm, I'm a more of a rhythm player, and uh, we influenced each other a lot. I mean, this basically this album is basically me saying, "Look, I'm not just Tony from the." from the outfield, I'm not just the vocalist and bass player, I, I have other strings to my bow, I, was, I was picked up a lot of production tricks and able to play keyboards, drums drums I'm very much into love love creating drum patterns and parts and rhythm sections and and you know my ideas I just put into the pot with John anyway for years and years so it felt it felt good to be having that experience and then starting and just putting my own stamp on it. Because every song and every idea I used to present to John was very sort of, not dark, but it was minor, and John was very sort of traditional, major chord structures and, you know, melodies and stuff. And I was always coming in a, a little bit, you know, another sort of angle. I always used to like doing different rhythms and stuff and different bass bass lines and I played a lot of guitar on them on replay as well and John played bass on replay the last time we did so it's you know we didn't have any egos it wasn't like oh well, I'm the bass player and I'm the guitar player what whatever part worked for the track you know worked why was he so underrated as a guitar player because he was fantastic yeah he, I don't know I mean he if, if anything I mean he, he used to, I used to say to him that don't don't, don't play blues solos and stuff and then it, sometimes he go no I want to I want to play blues he was very very much you know, a big fan of Clapton and and Schenker Eddie Van Halen and he was Peter Peter Green from Fleetwood Mac and he had he had his own style I mean there's one there's one solo part in Taking My Chances you now the, the drop down bit where he hits this one note and it just it, it, it gives me goosebumps every time I hear it just you know who would have thought that one note could do that to you, you know, can move you emotionally. It's, 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 it's even better than something like Gilmore could do, you know, and Gilmore's like a phenomenal guitar player. So, yeah, I, I think he was very underrated. Now, for you as a bass player, who were your guys when you were growing up? Who were your inspirations musically? Paul McCartney, I'd say. Paul McCartney, and when I grew up with later, I liked Jack Bruce. Um, I always liked three-piece bands. I liked Giddy Lee. Chris Squire, that sort of the bass is right in your face. I like that approach to a bass because I, I suppose I'm a frustrated guitar player, you know, because when I'm at home, I, I, I'm more likely to pick up a guitar and I do a bass. I very rarely rehearse on a bass. I find it quite, not boring, but it's, it's only good if you're, you're jamming with a drummer or, you know, with a band. I always wonder this. I always wonder if the guys that influenced you when you were younger are still influencing you now. Yeah, I think I think so. I mean, I do I do play a lot of old stuff, but I say obviously I'm saying yes, I say new stuff. Foo Fighters, uh, they're they're quite exciting. But I always like to hear like the the rhythm section, especially three piece bands, because um, that's what you know that's what because uh, we were formerly the baseball boys. 
we had a better sound when we had less players in the band, I thought. And when you only had three of you, you up your game more, you fill out the, the spaces more. And when the songs are structured properly, you know, it's a, it's a big sound. You know, we, we, we made a big sound rife, you know. Uh, for the new album, how many songs did you have written for the record? I mean, did you have a lot to choose from? Because you seem like a prolific writer to me. We didn't really throw much away, to be honest. I mean, there was a there was about three or four that that wasn't, didn't really fit the album. Didn't give that sort of flow that I'm even going back to now and trying to do a, a, a melody. So, you know, it, it it was it just happened sort of quite. I don't know. It's just. A gradual thing. I mean, when I had about half a dozen backing tracks and put the songs together, I was quite confident to sort of play this to, to people, you know. And, I, and Randy Sad from uh, Protocol Entertainment, he emailed me and said, um, how are you doing? And I said, I'm fine. I said, what have you been doing? I said, I've been recording. I've got, I've got some songs. Do you want to hear them? And he said, um, yeah, I'd love to. So I sent him, sent him some songs. And, and he said, I know um, Tanner. Tendon from Madison Records, Atlanta had a good relationship with him. He said, I'm pretty sure, you know, he'll be interested in this. I said, yeah, well, we'll go for it. And um, it just grew from there. And then and actually last October, I signed to Madison. And um, yeah, and it, it was, I was lucky enough that um, Tanner was a drummer as well. And so, yeah, I, I played a lot of the drum parts on the computer on the album. I said, but I, I do like the feel of a drummer. And uh, he'd, 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 he'd drum with Paul Rogers and Bad Company. I watched a couple of his um, sort of drum, drum solo of his on, on YouTube. And I thought, wow, he's, he's a great drummer. I'd like to do some, you know, do some drum tracks and get get, get, the, get the songs to sound a bit bigger and, and real sounding. And obviously, he was mixed on a, in a big studio as well. But um, fundamentally, he was recorded here at my home studio. Well... How does it feel to have this thing done and ready to go? You must be thrilled. Yeah, I am. I am thrilled, and I'm, you know, I, I, I used, to, used to keep playing it in the car and stuff, and I never, I never ever sort of second guessed any of the songs, or never wanted to re-record any of the, the verses and stuff. But in, in the past, uh, me and John used to sort of go back and fix things and do first lines and. But this one, it just had a sort of a gradual flow to it. You know, I, I wasn't put on any, any pressure. The only pressure you can put on is, is yourself, really, because there's no time scale or anything like that. It's just, just, just take your time and make, you know, make make the magic work. You know, I mean, there's a, there's a, there's a saying that Frank Sinatra said. He said that you can buy all the equipment in the world, but if the magic doesn't come out of the speakers, then you, you know, you, you, you're wasting your time. One of the things I love about this record is the sequencing, and I got to say, the the last song I know is such a perfect closer. Yeah, I mean, it's a, when you hear it, I mean, I played it to someone, and they said, "Oh, can you, this should be a really big production." I said, "No, but I, I like it sort of stripped back because if a song works, it works with an acoustic, where you got the bells and whistles and a full orchestra behind you. Sometimes I think it overstates the song, or sometimes you lose the the, the genuine." approaching a song that way by by overdubbing because we did I've learned that from the past we even John used to say to me in the past you, you've got overdubitis you know because you've got all these tracks and you're, you're using them and you're losing the the point of the song 
Well, when you recorded this record, I mean, of the 12 songs, it feels like there's a, a narrative arc to the record uh, from beginning to end. Did you think about it as kind of like you were telling a story? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I, I think so. It was, it's a, there's a sort of a thread that goes through it. It's going to be out of the, out of the darkness of the title. Just, it's, it's basically saying me back into the, in the music industry after a four-year hiatus. As I said before, after 33 years of being a singer, I just want to emerge as a solo artist. So, I mean, the album is, is about you know love, loss, betrayal, sorrow, grief, and any other human emotion that each one of us will experience or will experience at some point in their life. Are you an optimistic person? Do you think? Yeah, I'm. I'm, a, I'm an optimistic person. I'm, but as I'm getting older, I'm, I'm tending to be a bit more. Um, someone said to me, "What are you going to do after the retro Futura tour? You're going to do a solo tour." So I'm not even thinking beyond that. I just want to go out there and do the shows and see what happens. You know, the first, the very first time I get on stage is going to be strange for me. It's going to be very bittersweet because after all those years of playing with John and Alan, that. I look over and he's, he's not going to be there. It's going to be, it's going to be strange. So I'm just taking one day at a time, really. Josie's on a vacation far away. Come around and talk it over. So many things that I wanna say. You know I like my girls a little bit older. I just wanna use your. Tonight. 
every time I see you do a song like Your Love, for example, specifically Your Love, when you when you play festivals or, or shows and there's people who remember that song and they look so happy to hear it, which they are. It's also it's such a weird moment for me because it's one of the saddest songs I've ever heard. And I always feel people are, are always so joyful to hear it and they're dancing. And I, and I wonder if they actually have listened to the lyrics because that song is really sad to me. I know. I mean, the, the, the lyrics, even on this album and the lyrics on, on you know, the Outfit albums, I, I tend to sort of not focus so much on the story, but put my own twist on it so it sends out a positive message to it, even though it's, I mean, even, even Gilmore said some of his best work was when he was in a really bad place, in a really dark place. Because people really don't want to hear about, I love you, do you love me, let's go to the beach and isn't the garden lovely? People want to hear about, you know, relationships and situations and generally sort of being, you know, in, in dark places. And I just like to give, give a, a, a positive musical spin on it, if that makes sense. It does. And I think the line, you know, I ain't got many friends left to talk to is one of the saddest lines in rock and roll history. It's really a, that's a dark line. Yeah, I, I tend not to sort of focus on lyrics because I remember um, I was a big T-Rex fan and Ride a White Swan I, I didn't know what that was all about but it sounded great to me Yeah, you know what, why would you why would you write a song that's called Ride a White Swan or Jeepster or Metal Guru they didn't mean anything but it it, it had a connection with me I, was, I thought it was like this bloke is a genius absolute genius even though the lyrics didn't make sense um, I don't tend to focus on lyrics, I tend to sort of it's not the lyrics, it's what you do with them that makes makes the song you know, connect with people well, congratulations on, on this record, this is quite an achievement, I love it it's one of my favourite of the year, and uh, it's great to have you back, man thank you, have you got any favourites? Uh, I think for me, uh, I Know is a personal favourite and I also love Thank You For Breaking My Heart yeah, oh, that's interesting you're the first one to pick up on that it's a lot of people like I'll still be here. Uh, my favorite is loving you. Oh yeah, loving you is great. I mean, they're they're all great, but thank you for breaking my heart. Is uh, right now is my personal favorite. Uh, no one's picked that one. No one picked up on that. That's interesting. Yeah, I mean, it's it's, it's interesting getting a, a interesting cross section of different you know favorites. You know, I mean, thank you for breaking my heart. It's just an ironic song about being grateful to be heartbroken. You know, you can access you can access what. It, what's important to you and then go for it. I love that song because it's sort of like, you know, thank you for breaking my heart. Now I can actually feel something. I, th- I, think, it's, I think it's perfect. When I, when I, how I approached the song to sing it, I always thought of, of Michael Bublé doing it. You know, now you see you leaving. Oh, that yeah. Sort of yeah. Croon, crooning thing. Yeah. And I wanted to do that. I used that as a blueprint to try and make it work. And for some reason it, it, it did. You know, some some songs you can try and say, oh, I think I'll try that style, I'll try this bass style, or that drum pattern. No, no, because I'm very impatient. If I don't get an idea or excited by something within five minutes, I'll, I'll just bin it, put it in the bin. Uh, that, yeah, that that gets back to your, your sort of uh, creative impatience, right? Like, let's get on with it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not, yeah, I don't do waiting. You don't no, you don't do waiting. You, you won't wait for people who are late and you and you will just bin something if you're like, ah, oh, this isn't happening. <laughs> I, know, I think yeah, for some reason I don't intend to work 
Well, we have to get the song to Buble, and then you can buy yourself a huge mansion somewhere. <laughs> yeah. By the way, what's your favorite song on the album? Do you have a favorite, or is that a, is that a hard question to answer? No, I like Loving You. It's um, it's it's basically all about the, the arrival of our granddaughter and how, it, how it, we change the people because of it and the, the emotion that it'd be on that. You know, it's just being a grandparent for the first time is, is pretty special. Well, congratulations on being a grandparent and congratulations on this fabulous album. It's, it's really terrific to uh, have you back, Tony. Thank you. Thank you. I'm, I'm, I'm glad you took the time to, you know, to call me and go through this interview. Thank you very much. Nice guy, that Tony Lewis. If you want more information about what Tony Lewis is up to, where he's playing, and who he's playing with, go to TonyLewisMusic.com. If you want information about Bombshell Radio, it's just as easy. BombshellRadio.com. If you go to iTunes and you subscribe to Bombshell Radio and you subscribe to Stereo Embers, the podcast, throw us a couple of stars. And uh, look, we can't give you the moon in exchange for those stars, but we can give you fine radio week in and week out. Fair? Okay. Big thanks to you for always listening to the program. I appreciate it. And uh, let's close things off with Tony's new single. This is Into the Light, and I will see you next week right here on Stereo Embers, the podcast.